You're listening to The Parking Podcast. Views and opinions are my own. The Parking Podcast is brought to you by Vade. Vade helps cities understand and manage the curb by measuring when, where, and why it's used with wireless cameras and computer vision. Vade powers data-driven decisions that reduce congestion, improve pedestrian and bicycle safety, and better serve today's demand. Learn more at vade.ai. The Parking Podcast is brought to you by the International Parking and Mobility Institute, the world's largest association for professionals in parking, mobility, and transportation. Learn more at parking-mobility.org. Welcome back to another episode of the Parking Podcast. With us today is Jonathan Kurth, Development Services Director for the City of Fayetteville. How are you doing today, Jonathan? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining. I know uh, we've been trying to get on the on the same page for a while. We had a mic lost in transit and had to order a new one, but so glad uh, we could finally connect. Thank you for your patience. So I was uh, uh, studying your LinkedIn. It looked like you, uh, man. You know, a lot of we make the joke that uh, no one, when they were a kid, was dying to be in the in the parking industry, but. Uh, Looks like you, you've had city planning on your mind for a while. You, you studied geography for your undergrad, urban planning for graduate degree, did some planning internships. So is this, uh, is this something you got interested in at an early age or a college or um, you know what sparked that interest into planning? And of course, parking kind of fell into your lap with the planning. No, that's a that's a great question, and I think it's kind of a charitable a charitable read of my 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 <laughs> resume. Yeah, uh, if you scrutinize my the timeline of of my education and, and employment, I, there there are a few gaps in there that uh, indicate that it took me a minute to find my way to planning. <laughs> okay. uh, I, even, I I did do some undergraduate degree work before geography and international relations and global studies, which certainly got me uh, very much into the policy side mm-hmm. of things. That's definitely. Uh, more of my background when it comes to planning is policy planning more than design planning. Uh, but those are exactly the kind of things that fascinate me when I'm looking at a city it is not so much uh, the, the the appropriate uh, geometry of a building or or it's 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 spatial orientation, which I think are still important, but it's it's why the building was placed where it is and, and mm. the, the the structures and and, and policy decisions behind that. So uh, nice. it, it's definitely, it was a roundabout way to get to planning, but it felt like all my decisions up to the point of, of getting a degree in it were realizing that that was my passion or is my passion. Wow. Well, man, I, uh, I'm thankful you ended up in planning because uh, uh, you are one of the, well, we'll talk about this. So the big reason I tracked you down for the parking podcast is you were behind Fayetteville's push to end commercial parking minimums. You were one of the first cities in America to do so, but maybe take a step back because some of our listeners may be more on the parking technology side or parking garage uh, design side, and they're thinking parking minimums. Why would we minimize parking? But talk to us first, kind of what what uh, parking minimums are for those of our audience that aren't sure of that term. Sure. Uh, speaking generally, uh, parking minimums are uh, a baseline standard of sort for how many car storage spaces are required based on a given land use. Uh, these are typically municipal standards. Uh, a lot of them are based on decades old data uh, that was taken at a few key points uh, of market research. And it just basically goes through and, and, and says how many parking spaces a given use has to have, whether it's a single family home that requires two parking spaces or a restaurant that requires a parking space for every table or 
uh, a Walmart that requires one space for every every 250 square feet of retail space. Uh, there, there are requirements that say that is the baseline amount of parking you have to build when you construct that type of development. Yeah, and then there's some wild ones, and that kind of tells you how arbitrary this process has become. I've seen like, you know, two parking spaces per bowling lane, or uh, <laughs> 1.5, or one parking space per 1.5 caskets in a funeral home. I may be exaggerating, but some crazy ones. I think I even saw like a a sewer plant parking per one space per 200,000 gallons of, I, I don't know, but it's just, it's, they're all over the place, but that leads us to, you know, people wanting to get rid of parking minimums. And uh, most of our listeners I'm, I'm aware are familiar with Donald Shoup and of course his work, but what are some of the problems with parking minimums? Oh, there are many, of course. Uh, that's why everybody's talking about, or a lot of people are talking about them lately. I think there are several from that you could argue from a, a, a property owner rights perspective. These standards are very inflexible. Uh, all restaurants are not created equal. All businesses are not created equal in the sense that uh, some may be in a very urban downtown walkable environment that has a lot of available on-street parking and no parking is needed at all. Uh, whereas some may be more and more of a suburban setting where every single customer who visits is, is going to be doing it by vehicle. Uh, and applying this kind of standard on citywide a citywide basis has uh, can have some very negative consequences on the the urban landscape. Uh, I mean, thinking about it, and and perhaps the most famous example, a lot of these parking standards are based on what are arguably the two biggest retail shopping days of the year: Black Friday and Christmas Eve. Yep. And so you are uh, oversizing your parking. Uh, not not for some uh, municipal health and safety purpose like you would a detention pond or or a mm-hmm. sanitary sewer line, but merely for car storage. So 363 days a year, you have a large tarmac or or area of of hard surface that's uh, pushing off stormwater on on other properties. It's creating an urban heat island effect. Uh, it's not generating any tax revenue. Uh, like I said, the list could go on and on, but I think generally uh, it's just a, it's a very inefficient and, and negative uh, land use if done to excess, and it, it really is very inflexible for 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 business owners and residents, even for when it comes to residential parking standards. Yeah, you know, I, I saw a funny meme recently when the the Chinese air balloon was was flying over uh, spy balloon. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a meme showing the Chinese uh, chairman, a communist leader, with an advisor saying, "Sir, it's 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 nothing but parking lots," and it just showed. <laughs> it's like you know that that's a problem we have in America with. It. And then um, what what about specific to Fayetteville? So what were you know you you're part of uh, Fayetteville planning? So what would you say you saw specific problems to uh, to Fayetteville due to parking minimums? Oh, I, th- I think we saw. Examples of both of what I've just described. We have uh, a fairly vibrant downtown, certainly today. But even despite that, there were numerous storefronts and, and and properties that could not redevelop or 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 were sitting underutilized because parking standards required that a, that a small urban parcel try to find parking spaces uh, to be to be utilized. Uh, when there was plenty of public parking, municipal decks or on street and, and nearby proximity. Yeah. And the, flips, and the flip side of that, because uh, Fayetteville is not a, 
a perfect urbanist dream. We do have a lot of suburban auto-oriented development as well. There are large swaths of, of our commercially uh, viable land being dedicated to parking. Yeah, and it seems like, again, not not a planner here, but uh, one things I've seen, it's like, um, let's say you have an old office space in the heart of downtown that was for for something you know uh, uh, that required maybe one space per employee. So they had to have 12 parking spaces. And then, mm-hmm. you know, 15 years later today, a cool brewery, restaurant, something that's really hip and going to bring a lot of life and vibrancy to downtown. They want to flip that and redevelop that, but they can't because the code says that, oh, because it's a brewery, you need 27 spaces. Is that so that that's a problem, right? Cities across in America are having problems redeveloping it because because of the the parking minimum code. Right. It's 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 antithetical to a lot of the ideas of urbanity, the, the ideas that cities are are organic and are growing and changing constantly. And we're trying to impose a static standard on the amount of land on a given property that has to be dedicated to car storage. Yeah, absolutely. Another one again, again. Not a planner trying to speak this in layman's term. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but the property taxes where uh, a parking lot isn't worth a lot. So cities, you know, we have a lot of city government employees listening that run parking or planning for the city. So they, whoever owns that land, pays a minimum property tax for the parking lot. Um, but if we were redeveloping that, allowing them to do, allowing the market to dictate the parking, that could be something more vibrant. That's bringing more revenue. That's bringing more taxes to the cities is that a fair fair statement too that is and it, and it swings both ways uh coming to arkansas was a shift for me in mindset because most of the municipalities in arkansas are sales tax driven whereas a, a lot of other portions of the country are property tax driven uh, so while well, but you could make the argument in either case if if you're dedicating land to parking lots and vehicle storage uh, it, it doesn't have. Uh, it's not generating revenue in the sense that there aren't people going indoors and and, and ringing cash registers, uh, but you're also not seeing improvements on the property beyond asphalt or concrete. You're not seeing any vertical construction that would lead to to increased property valuation. Wow, absolutely. And then let's let's change gear. Tell us about the process of removing parking minimum. So, uh, was this just one planner's idea? Were people coming to the planning department about this? Did you have data, reasoning? Did you walk in to council meeting with Shoop's high cost of free parking? Kind of what was the, you know, what was, what led to the movement to repeal these ordinances? I, you actually hit on several of them right there. <laughs> uh, it, it did begin with one planner, but that planner really began thinking about it because they had been approached multiple times by people who are wanting to redevelop properties. And, and after a time, they realized that there was a pattern. It was the same properties that were being explored over and over again. And then they were not, not turning over. They were either vacant or deteriorating because they weren't being cared for. They're just abandoned. And, and so we quickly became determined to be a trend. And behind that trend was the, the uh, lack or the inability to provide parking. Uh, at that time in Fayetteville, uh, part of the business licensing process incorporated our planners and one of their jobs, in addition to just looking at it from a, a zoning land use perspective, was also seeing what the land use was and if parking could be provided for. And if it couldn't, a business license couldn't be issued and it's, it, it couldn't even get off the ground. 
Mm. So, so that planner t- took it to the director at the time, and they began evaluating it. And ultimately, it, it fit very snugly in with uh, recent understandings and readings and appreciation for Donald Shoup's work. Uh, and went before our planning commission and ultimately to our city council, including, uh, I, b- I believe, uh, uh, I think it was a, a, a more of an academic white paper version of Donald Shoup's work, summarizing many of his findings. Mm. Uh, ultimately, it was approved, uh, not without quite a bit of discussion. Uh, there was a lot of feedback from our city's legal or, or, or city's uh, attorney uh, who had concerns that there are statutes in Arkansas about the diminishment of property value. And and his concern was if we are to remove these standards and the sky falls, if we wanted to reimpose these standards, we may be in a position as a city where we would be open to lawsuits for for diminishing property value, requiring them to suddenly dedicate a certain amount of land of their property to parking. Uh, yeah, I was so thinking kind of why would city council members vote against this? And I think that, you know, maybe they, they're they afraid, hey, we barely have enough parking as it is. We're going to have people driving around with nowhere to park and get a bad taste in their mouth. But I am I believe this was in 2015. So we're going to mm-hmm. talk about in just a second kind of what the effects were. But we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our platinum sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Tez Technology. Since 1993, Tez has developed innovative text-based mobile solutions designed to streamline operations, increase efficiency, and improve overall customer experiences. My favorite is the ability to pay for parking without having to download an app. Tez Solutions includes SMS valet, text to park, permit to park, and much more. I think every organization or city or university should be adding Tez to their payment options arsenal. Learn more about Tez at tezhq.com. All right, so we so we talked about that, you know, the the feedback from the attorney and the council members discussion. So this was I believe in uh, 2015 this happened. Uh, it's been 7 man, 8 years. Wow, time flies. So um, have you had any data yet or success stories, case studies on how removing parking minimums has improved the community? Well, for better or worse, I, I, I probably have more anecdotes than data. Uh, yeah. I'm not able to quote any tax figures or building square footages that have returned to the tax rolls. I think the nature of deregulating something is that it is often hard to track by by opening the the ability for businesses to locate without parking, we're not necessarily keeping track of how much parking they have or don't have. Uh, so, the, so data is not something that we've readily been able to provide, but we can walk around many parts of our city and uh, see properties that have been uh, returned to use. Uh, I mean, there's uh, several successful restaurants in our downtown area that would never have been able to open uh, without or under our previous parking minimums. Um, that, that that's probably the most visible and, and high-profile example, uh, given we have a fairly walkable downtown that is again pretty vibrant. I'm trying to think what other good examples we have. I think I even read just doing my due diligence. There was, I mean, you just kind of mentioned it, but there was like it kind of highlighted a business where a business owner was thanking, more or less thanking the city. We were able to build our dream, whatever restaurant, but I can't remember what it was because 
of the repealing the minimum um, parking minimum. So just that itself, just reading a story like that was pretty powerful. And if I find that, I'll put that in the link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah but I think that it is powerful. I agree. I mean, it really falls into three buckets when I think about what has changed. And then that's, we've seen businesses opening without any parking. We've seen businesses opening with less parking than they were previously required. And and we've seen businesses actually replacing parking lots. Um, we have uh, a, a couple of our larger strip developments along uh, traditionally auto-oriented corridors that are ripping up parking lots where they found it's no longer useful and installing restaurants and, and coffee shops and things like that. Uh, so it's uh, it's been kind of exciting to see that kind of infill. Usually uh, when you think about urban planning and infill, it's adding housing, more housing where there wasn't as much housing, but there's also uh, commercial infill happening where these uh, large expanses of concrete and asphalt are becoming businesses. Yeah. And I have in my office, I'm looking at it now that everyone's seen it, but that Banksy street art where it's a parking lot and it says parking on the wall and they've kind of, he's graffitied out the ING. So it just says park and there's a girl on a swing graffitied mm-hmm. onto the wall but it's just a again the ability to change this you know the heat island grass asphalt eyesore into something you know livable walkable fun in the city it's uh and again i'm a parking guy i make money on parking transactions uh and lots but as a uh, living in a city it's it's obvious why parking minimums need to be abolished but you know brings me to the i want to play devil's advocate or look at both sides were there any unintended consequences from abolishing parking minimums were there any you know things you didn't think about that city should consider when uh, making this decision and if not well, that's okay yeah it's a, it is a good question uh, i think by and large no I, I referenced earlier that there was concern legal concerns about the sky falling and, and that did not happen i i often tell people when they ask me in passing how it's worked i say it's kind of anticlimactic we did. We have seen businesses uh, open up. We've seen parking lots torn up and replaced by buildings, but we've also not seen a parking apocalypse where people are driving around town, expelling fumes, and trying to find parking spaces for hours and hours. Uh, that 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 has been kind of uh, honestly a, a kind of satisfying re- result. I think we'd all like to have thought that uh, we'd see just enormous amounts of of, of redevelopment and development. But I think having this, making this, uh, on the face of it, significant change, but only having incremental results is uh, exactly the ideal way it could have gone and, and make it more acceptable to the community at large. Mm. Um, I think perhaps the most unintended consequence is we are, I'm glad you referenced the Banksy piece, uh, we are in the process of uh, removing a very large city-owned surface parking lot in the core of our downtown at possibly one of the most valuable corners in our entire region uh, that serves our performing arts center. And it's being replaced by a structured deck uh, a, a few hundred feet away. But it has really highlighted the fact that we don't have parking minimums. I, I don't think most people really think about parking from day to day unless they're looking for a spot. Uh, but in this instance, people were... Uh, beginning to get upset as we uh, made plans to remove this parking lot and replace it with a park and Civic Plaza and, and bookend it with some uh, some high-quality buildings and, and a food hall and a hotel. And 
people were suddenly concerned is is the hotel going to have to build parking will the food hall build parking where where are people going to put parking do we need to overturn our minimum parking requirements and so i think it was the the first time we've uh, come face to face with it as a community uh, and the performing arts center even performed a parking analysis recently and presented it to Fayetteville city council uh indicating that yes at some point with our rate of growth we probably do need to think about more parking but Generally, it's not as awful as people seem to think it is. Uh, when you, but, you look at when you look at a whole system, there's usually parking available. Yeah, and what you just said though highlights exactly what Shoop predicted that the market will determine. So now you have the hotel and the performing arts center saying, "Do we need parking? Should we build a deck? Should we, you know, instead of the city dictating what the rules are, the market will dictate that." So that's really interesting. Would you say, you know, what would you say to any other cities listening that are thinking about this? Do you have any best practice or recommendations? Does this say one size fits all? Does every city need to do this? Is it just depends on the city? Kind of, I don't know. Any any elevator pitch on uh, to other cities listening? I, I I do have some experiences to share that I think made ours perhaps successful. If, like I said, not or anticlimactic, is that the ordinance change included some uh, some very what appear to be minor tweaks that have really empowered staff uh, but also made this change as unimpactful as possible for example staff does have the authority to require a parking study that there's still a requirement that you show that you're not going to cause a negative impact on on the wider parking system uh, so we, we, we've called that a couple times on, on big groups or, or, or anticipated or businesses with a lot of anticipated traffic. We've, we've asked them to show what, what kind of parking is available within kind of a quarter mile walking shed. And then it proved, of course, perhaps unsurprisingly to be fully adequate. Uh, other pieces of ordinance that we adopted with that code change that I think were important are the ability for uh, people to uh, increase the amount of parking they want to have because what Fayetteville Ultimate really did was we flipped our parking minimums to parking maximums because we didn't want to simply remove the requirement for parking. We also wanted to reduce the frequency of developments being overparked because you get a typical box store or, or a corporate chain, they have they often have a a mathematical formula dictating where exactly how much parking they need and uh, sometimes that's appropriate sometimes it's not so we wanted the ability to accommodate them uh, administratively without having to send them to some sort of public hearing Uh, that has been helpful and then as for the one-size-fit-all piece of it Fayetteville is a college town that's the University of Arkansas is located here Uh, we're yet to take the brave step to get rid of our residential parking minimums uh, there is just uh, uh, too big of a, a, I think, political concern about students and cars. But we did add uh, the ability for residential developments to administratively reduce the number of parking spaces they have if they're near a bus line, if they want to replace spaces with uh, uh, bike racks, if they want to replace spaces with, with motorcycle and scooter spaces. So uh, we that, that that's a not, not a bridge we've crossed yet, but I think we took a very big step to allow people to reduce the amount of parking on the residential side, in addition to not build any on the commercial side. Wow, that's great feedback and great uh, bits of information there. And then uh, lastly, you know, the city's listening. Any other references besides the high cost of free parking that, that you used or recommend for those 
uh, wanting to learn more about this? On the parking side, no, but I because I'm a policy geek, I, I, I think it's always a shame not to to plug books about housing because so often parking and housing are inextricably linked, if just yeah. like transportation and housing are. And I think a really remarkable book I read recently was uh, Shane Phillips, I think is his name. Uh, Shane Phillips' Affordable City book. It, it really does a great job of breaking down housing policy to digestible pieces that a planner or city official could approach some of these larger issues to, to, to try to, to reduce our need for parking uh, by building housing where it, it ought to be. Wow. That, yeah. That, um, I have not read that. I know he went to, he teaches at UCLA maybe, but that's quite a powerhouse to have Shoop and Shane Phillips. And <laughs> right. <laughs> that's a good education, but no, I'll put a reference that in the show notes as well. So um, again, to our listeners, how can they learn more or follow along with all the exciting things going on with the city of Fayetteville? Oh, that's always hard. I could give you the answer I give to residents. Just sign up for all our agendas, but that, that's a pretty droll reading. <laughs> we, 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 try to, we try to make an effort to attend uh, national conferences, whether it's the American Planning Association or the Conference for New Urbanism, uh, and, and talk about the work being done. Uh, we also have been spoiled for getting attention for some of the work we've done. Uh, Strong Towns has covered Fayetteville a couple times on efforts we've done related to parking and accessory dwelling units. So uh, I think that constellation of planning outlets of information is, is always good to just explore and, and until you find what niche you're looking for. Yeah, actually, that's how I heard about you and reached out to you as I heard you on the Strong Towns podcast. I can't think of the name of it. It might just be that, but uh, that's where I I heard heard your interview and thought, man, that'd be great for our parking listening audience. So, uh, Jonathan, man, thank you so much for joining the podcast and sharing your experience and success story with removing parking minimums in Fayetteville with our listening audience. I hope you have a great week. Yeah, you too. I appreciate your interest. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Parker Technology, the customer experience solution of choice in the parking industry. Parker's solution puts a virtual ambassador in every lane to help parking guests pay and get on their way in under a minute. Parker helps capture revenue, provides better customer service, enables your staff to focus on other on-site tasks, and keeps traffic moving, all according to your business rules. With the Parker solution, you'll also enjoy access to real-time call data and recordings. Learn more at helpmeparker.com slash parkingpodcasts. This episode is brought to you by RiseTech. RiseTech's Verge data analytics and reporting platform delivers a powerful management solution with integration to your existing technologies. I've actually seen this and it's pretty cool. I hope you check it out. Learn why some of the largest cities in the United States, such as New York City, are using RiseTech to solve their parking and transportation challenges at risetechglobal.com forward slash parking podcast.